the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. You struggle with a bad habit. You struggle with an addiction. Are you in bondage to something? Well, 1 John's the book for you. <laughs> if that's you, if you've if you struggled with a sin that just seems to, to ensnare you, that easily besets you, God's going to do a work in you as you study 1 John with us. Today, Pastor Dan will continue his overview of 1 John by explaining another reason why John wrote this letter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says that when you sin, you have an advocate, who is Jesus Christ. Pastor Dan will explain that Jesus Christ uses His own righteousness to plead your case with the Father. And without Jesus' righteousness, you will be condemned to death. Romans 6.23 explains that you deserve death for your sins, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And now, open your Bibles to the book of 1 John as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. And I challenge you to read 1 John, the entire book, every day for the next month and see how it affects your joy. See if your joy doesn't increase. He says, these things were written to you that your joy may be full. Now, let me say there's a difference between joy and happiness. Don't confuse those two. Happiness is circumstantial. Uh, if, if, if circumstances are good, you're happy. But if your circumstances suddenly change for the worse, well, then your happiness goes away. Your happiness disappears. So, so joy is different from happiness. Joy transcends your circumstances. And you probably know Christians, we have Christians here in this, in this congregation, in this church family, who, who are going through and have experienced really rough circumstances, and yet they still have joy. Their circumstances don't uh, affect their joy. You know, there's, a, there's a great illustration of this in the Old Testament. Uh, you don't have to turn there because it's in the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> you know, and we've got lunch today, so... Uh, <laughs> So I'll just read it to you, if I can find it. Uh, Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, 
Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What Habakkuk is describing there, the fig trees have no blossom, there's no fruit on the vine, the olive uh, harvest fails, the fields yield no food, the flock is cut off, there's no herd in the stall. Circumstances are as worse or as terrible as they possibly could be. And yet, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here's what the Bible says about joy. First of all, it says it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Joy is something that the Holy Spirit produces in the, in the believer as you simply abide in Christ and simply spend time with Him and walk with Him and yield to Him. The Holy Spirit will produce joy in you. Another thing the Bible says about joy, it says that joy is a natural outcome of our fellowship with God. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy is just a natural outcome from from fellowship with God, from spending time in His presence, spending time with Him. Another verse for you, Psalm 21, verse 6. Uh, There it says, You have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Just exceedingly glad with the presence of the Lord. Here's another one, Isaiah 61, uh, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For, here's why, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Because he saved me. Because of my salvation. Because he's, he's robed me with his righteousness. He's covered up my unrighteousness with his righteousness. If you've got nothing to rejoice in, you can rejoice in the fact that you're saved, that your sins are forgiven, that you're going to heaven, and you have an inheritance there with the Lord, that you're, you're not going to get what you deserve for the way that you've lived you're going to get salvation and eternal life with Christ Jesus. The Bible also tells us that joy comes from fellowship with other believers. If you look over in in, uh, 2 John, 2 John, uh, verse 12, there's only one chapter, so. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Just spending time with other Christians, other believers, being around them, will make your joy full. 
you know, we've, we've got the, the, the building, you know, thing going on the last couple weeks, and, and we've been in there every day and, and painting from, you know, 9 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night some days. And it's long days, but they're joyful days. They're joyful days because we're with other Christians. We're serving the Lord together, just being in fellowship and serving shoulder to shoulder with shoulder with each other, right? Just brings joy. It's a great thing. It's just fellowship with other believers. It brings joy. Another thing the Bible says about joy, it says that that joy comes from the Word of God. Just from spending time in the Word, just reading your Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Just the joy of reading the Bible. Joy of spending time in the Word. And so John writes this letter that your joy may be full. If you lack joy, 1 John's for you. 1 John's going to be a good book for you to study. Now, the second reason that John wrote this epistle, uh, he wrote this epistle in order that we sin not. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says in verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us that we all sin. Here, John is talking about practicing sin. He's not saying that you should be sinless because none of us are sinless. He's talking about practicing sin. He's talking about habitual sin. Do you struggle Do you struggle with a particular sin? Do you struggle with a bad habit? Do you struggle with an addiction? Are you in bondage to something? Well, 1 John's the book for you. (laughs) If that's you, if you you struggle with a sin that just seems to, to ensnare you, that easily besets you, God's going to do a work in you. As you study First John with us, God's going to use this book to set you free of that, to deliver you. Look at the rest of verse 1 here. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, anyone sin here? Raise your hand. If you sin, come on, you guys in the back, in the cheap seats, get those hands up. <laughs> uh, And if anyone sins, yeah, we all sin. We all blow it, right? We have, look what it says, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He says here, he writes this to remind us that when we sin, God doesn't, you know, kick us out of the family. God doesn't uh, disown us. Now, Satan will try to tell us that uh, God will disown us. Satan will try to condemn us and shame us and kick us when we're down. But when we sin, John reminds us that we have an advocate 
in heaven. We have an advocate in heaven. The word advocate, it means one who pleads another's cause before a judge. One who pleads another's cause before a judge. It's like a defense attorney who pleads your case before a judge. When we sin, Jesus pleads our case with the Father, with our Father. He's still our Father. We're still in the family. He hasn't disowned us. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. But when we sin, Jesus pleads our case on our behalf with the Father. And let me just say, aren't you glad that you don't have to be your own advocate before God? Aren't you glad that you don't have to be your own defense attorney and try to defend yourself before God? And really, what defense would you offer? Right? I mean, there's none. We're guilty. (laughs) There's no defense we could offer for our sin. But Jesus, He's our advocate. He pleads our case to the Father. And look what it says. Look at the verse again, the end of verse 1. Jesus is called the righteous. When Jesus goes before the Father on our behalf, He doesn't plead our righteousness. He doesn't doesn't defend us by trying to convince the Father that we're really a good person. And he just made a mistake again for the 10,000th time. He doesn't plead our righteousness because we're not righteous. He pleads his own righteousness on our behalf. He pleads his own righteousness in place of our unrighteousness. Sometimes that's called the, the great exchange. We're now... God is looking at the righteousness of Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, instead of our unrighteousness. Look at verse 2 again. It says, And He Himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now that word propitiation, it means that Jesus died on the cross, and when He died on the cross... His sacrifice for our sins satisfied the wrath of God completely. He he paid the penalty. He paid the debt in full, completely. And not only for our sins, but it says for the sins of the, the whole world. And so now anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ can have their sins forgiven and receive eternal life. I love Romans 6.23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death, judgment, 
for our sins, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And John wants us to remember that. He wants to remind us of that. That, hey, when you sin, because you're going to sin, when you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he advocates for you with the Father. And he doesn't advocate for your righteousness. He uses his own righteousness. And now we have our sins forgiven. Now we have eternal life through him. And now the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. It says in Romans, what could separate us from the love of God that we have through Jesus Christ? A third reason that John wrote this letter was to warn us about false teachers. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 26. Chapter 2, verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. God doesn't want us to be deceived. He wants to protect us from deception. You know, in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus warned us about false teachers and false prophets, and he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus said, you got to be careful because these false teachers are going to look like sheep. They're going to sound like sheep, but you'll know that they're wolves by their fruit. The fruit that their lives produce. And so John writes this so that so that we won't be deceived. God's concerned about that. The fourth and final reason that John wrote this letter was so that we may know that we have eternal life. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. This is the fourth reason that John wrote this letter. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God wants every person to have eternal life. God sent his son into the world to die on the cross so that we may have eternal life, everlasting life. The Bible says God is not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance and salvation. He wants us to have everlasting life. And once we have everlasting life, he wants us to know that we have everlasting life. God wants you to be certain of your salvation. He wants you to know, he wants you to have confidence that you have everlasting life. He he doesn't want eternity to be a big question mark for you or for anyone. He he doesn't want uh, eternity to be 
something that we're, we doubt or something that we're uncertain of. He doesn't want salvation to be the kind of thing where we say, well, I hope I get in. I hope it works out. I hope I'm going to heaven when I die. No, God wants us to know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. How do you know? Well, look at chapter 5 again. Look up just a couple verses to chapter 5, verse 11. Verse 11 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Man, that's very plain, isn't it? He says, God has given us eternal life. This life is in the Son. So if you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. What what does that mean, though, when he says, if you have the Son? If you put your faith and trust in Him. You've put your faith and trust in His death on the cross for your sins. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. So if you've put your faith in Him, you've put your trust in His sacrifice on the cross for you, and you have the Son. And so that's the question for you today. Do you have the Son? Do you have eternal life? Have you trusted in Him? Are you sure? If so, according to the Scriptures, your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. And God wants us to be confident of this. He wants us to be sure of this. He wants us to be assured of our salvation. Look what he says. Go back to verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Having the assurance of your salvation, it helps you to continue to believe. It helps you to continue to walk with Jesus, especially when you're going through a difficult season in life or a a confusing season of life when things are happening that don't make sense to you, that you don't understand, and you you just can't wrap your mind around them, having that assurance of salvation, it, it will help you to continue to believe. So he wants us to be confident of our salvation. So if you're here and you you have you have doubts about your salvation, 1 John's for you. 1 John's the perfect book for you. And I I really think that God has uh, great things in store for us as we study through 1 John. We're going to experience fullness of joy. We're going to be set free from sin and the shame and the condemnation and the guilt that goes along with that. We'll be kept from false teachers and false teachings. And our assurance of our salvation will grow stronger and it will help us to persevere 
with the Lord. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. The book of 1 John invites followers of Jesus into a consistently growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. The Christian walk isn't meant to stagnate, no matter how long you've been pursuing your relationship. There's always more to discover about your Almighty Creator, and more ways in which He can refine your heart. As you've done already today by joining Pastor Dan for Ring of Truth, we encourage you to continue spending time in the Word regularly. We also urge you to make conversation with God a regular part of your routine as well praying and listening to what your Heavenly Father wants to say to you. And know that here at Ring of Truth, we're also praying for you. We're so glad you joined us today, and we'd like to invite you to visit us here at Calvary Chapel. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. Or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. That's all for today. Join us next time for more right here on Ring of Truth. It's true.